Hey everyone, welcome back to the Blessed Child Podcast. This is your host Renee. This is part two of the interview with Colleen. If you haven't heard the first part, I urge you to go back and listen. Here we go. But yeah, my mom, my mom was a violinist. She was she was really gifted. And then um, you know, she stopped playing when she had children and in the church essentially. But then she raised us all three kids to play. So very grateful for that. Yeah, she 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 taught us when we were babies. Like we all had a violin in our hands when we were like three, wow. like a little little baby violin. And then um, all the neighborhood kids, when I and my brother were young, there were group classes in the, cause you know, so in the apartment complex, as you know, at any given moment, there were like three UC families, blessed families. The Trinities. Um, but, Wasn't it the you, Trinities? No, it wasn't. At, we weren't actually Trinities. Oh, okay, okay. We Those did exist. But like my mom and dad's Trinities, like they were scattered throughout New Jersey. Okay. Um, But we just all happened to live within a few blocks of each other. And that to me was a gift. Having all those kids growing up with them, that was a lot of fun. And we, we kind of like, my family anyways, our parents were neglectful, but we always had the friends. We always had each other. But um, so within these families, we had a violin teacher who would show up once a week and we had group classes. And then um, when I got into elementary school, I in third grade, I was able to take on violin as as my main instrument. And then we had private a, a group class in school and orchestra. So violin was a big part of my life. And then in I think in third or fourth grade, you were allowed to pick up a second instrument. And I chose clarinet and I loved the clarinet it was way easier to play clarinet than to play violin and as you continue playing violin it gets more complex so I dropped the violin essentially in schools because it was getting too hard to do both and um and then I went to Korea and I dropped both instruments and it's like a regret I don't like using that word but it's something that I yeah it's something that I regret or that I have a lot of pain around because I went to Korea and this is like sort of when we talked about this doing this podcast I said like sort of the main theme is like losing my identity when I went to Korea and music was a big part of that actually was applying to go to um, Juilliard so Juilliard has like a high school like a prep school and I was applying to get in with my clarinet at the same time that I was applying to go to Korea yeah so like I had like a piece that I was going to play that I was practicing it was really hard I probably wouldn't have gotten in, but I was excited to do so, like to practice and to get in, you know, and to get better at music. So it was sort of like, you know, two, two roads converge, whatever, you know, and I took the other one and this other path, I, I used to think about it often, like who I would have been if I had gone down this other path where I would have been more into academics and to my music and all of that and sports which is something that I like all the stuff like all the capacities and things that I wanted to do like just fell away at the wayside and I became like the flag bearer for Unification Church you did I remember (laughs) it was really rare for people to stay in got past the two-year mark because of how difficult it is to be in Korean school but you were there when I got in you were in you were the third year fourth year when I got there when when did you go what year was that Oh, 2003, 2003. That was my last year. Oh, yeah. Hold and on. Then, and then you went back though. And oh, 
So I was with you for two years. I think. In your year or in the second year? In the second, when I was a prep the second year. Oh, I was trying to remember that. Yeah. I went back because I got married. Yeah. As like an 18 year old child. Oh, yes. <gasps> I'm getting sweaty as it gets into like the real <laughs> stuff. I'm oh, like, fuck. <laughs> hey guys, editing Renee here. We took a couple of breaks and let's shake that out and... <sighs> okay, let's go back in. Here we go. You were there in 98? 99. 99. Was that at the McCola factory or was that in the dorm? Like the dorm. That was in the dorm. The original, like the first dorm, the McCola factory. You're right. I forgot about that. That was the second year of my brother. My okay. brother. I think that was 1998. 1998. And like kids- that was the shift. Yeah. They shifted out of the McCola factory because you can't have 50 kids in a McCola factory because one of the kids died, I think. No way. I didn't know that. I heard rumors, you know, in GOP, I heard rumors and maybe it's not true. If anybody has heard this story, please let me know. I heard one kid was like sleepwalking and then like fell off a balcony at the McCola factory. That sounds like that sounds like lore that I might have heard, too, actually. Now that I think about it. Yeah. I mean, it was a factory. <laughs> I don't know how true it is. But anyway, so we were in a dorm, a real dorm with barred windows and a big shikdang and you remember they put out all the girls that were disturbed Wait. on the fourth floor? No. Yeah, they would. That, hap- that must have happened in your year. It was like a shunning. Like all the kids that were had eating disorders or were cutting self-mutilation, they were put on the fourth floor. Okay. How did I not know this? I mean, I saw it happen. I saw them isolate those kids. Like I noticed people cutting. And when the staff noticed people cutting, those kids would be put on the fourth floor. When was this? This is your second year? This is my first year, 2003. So that's that's why I didn't know, because I came in only partway into your year. They didn't tell me this, because I became part of the staff. I'm going to bleep their names out. Seeing ghosts. They said she was too spiritually open. She was seeing things, and they put her on the fourth floor, isolated. So the fourth was like making my stomach turn. Yeah. The fourth floor was like haunted, like, cause they would put all the kids that were having mental breakdowns, seeing things too spiritually open on the fourth floor. I had no idea. Renee did not Uh, know that. Who else there for a little bit for the three that I remember they put up there and all three eventually went home early. Oh yeah. They must've gone home before I got there. Cause I had no idea. Mm -hmm. Yep. Or they, or they kept it from me. Yeah. They would like, I mean, I think they were trying to protect all of us, but they didn't know what to do. They thought it was spirit spirit world. That's something that's like hard for me to talk about because it's so just the theme of this in, in the church, like spiritually open. Yeah. This is mental un- instability and mm-hmm. and dissociation, you know? Yeah, these and- girls. Yeah. And we I envied these girls. I was like, oh, they're seeing things like it's hard to see spirit world. But I wish I was kind of that sensitive. You're bringing up a very interesting point. I think I did too. I think I wanted I wanted the the skills and abilities that they had. I mean, yeah, yeah, I think I mean I still to this day like that kind of stuff is real. Like energy is real. Okay? Like you can read a room, you can read a person's energy, right? All that stuff's real. But the degree to which it was happening in our in these kids, like this was like a mental issue. This was not their fault, you know, like talk about dissociation in the church and like the way that they were raised you know and, and these what, poor and what we were taught 
Yeah, exactly. Right. What what they were thinking about, what that was they were preoccupied with. And also, I mean, if you're you're taught the stuff that we were taught, you know, about spirits and about, you know, ancestors and essentially like karma, like paying paying dues and all that stuff. Like these kids are thinking that they're guilty or they feel shame. And then it's projected into these images in their mind. <sighs> I'm just having a lot of flashbacks right now. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say the name on the podcast. But do you remember? She had no. like split personality disorder, and we. Th- <gasps> and she oh, was, was possessed. She, from? she was like yeah. possessed half the year by like a I, French spirit. Didn't know. Didn't know. I didn't know that. I didn't know about that. I guess I just had a a knack <laughs> for finding the crazy people. Oh my god! Mm. And yeah, I tried to help her a lot. I really really did it was crazy so hers was really could manifest because i remember when she was her she wouldn't have hives when she got scratched but when she was her possessed form if i scratched her she would get hives so for me it was very real yeah so i would test i would scratch her and be like oh it's you okay cool oh wait no she had hives the spirit didn't her possessed form didn't because she was like the sensitive one and her possessed form was like really brutal and strong and straightforward and different oh wow okay i'm gonna ask that we shift from this topic because it kind of freaks me out a little bit uh okay like i need to like reset sorry we're going to a place that's really dark this is gob you're good at that like for me like it's like a shadow walker like you're able to walk the shadow realms yeah and and like you have this ability and like you, we were talking earlier about like the the death and transformation mm. you're like you're at the portal and i think you're you're able to go there and for me it's harder for me i'm i'm very permeable like it I, goes into yeah it goes into me and it's hard for me to like keep my own self separate from those things i always okay. had that problem <laughs> for for me and i don't know maybe this will help for me i find remembering the people I found in the shadow realm and then remembering how much fun we had <laughs> makes That's... it makes it okay it's like it, even I like though, that yeah even though it's hell it's like it, it's not a big deal if you find the people you enjoy with <laughs> like those are That's the gems. precious Renee I think this is like why you and my sister also why you and Lena are such good friends because she's also like that yeah she's able to walk the shadow realms I found her in hell <laughs> like, yeah. I love that oh I mean yeah can I just ask you some questions that aren't so yes. dark that maybe will get you out? Um, yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good now. Did we really throw buckets of water on each other to wake each other up? Like, I remember rooms flooding for some reason. I remember birds flying in the hallways. The pranks were insane. What Were these real? Like, did this really happen? So, you know, I'll say that my generation of GOP and your generation of GOP are, like, very different. <laughs> Yeah, you guys had a whole different world. I think every year would it be different, but then like you guys had totally different dorm parents than yeah. my year and my, you know Jerry Tamayo, Steve Tamayo, like they were the reigning lords of GOP for a little while, and then they left. Right? Did you have them at all? I've seen the trauma that they leave in their wake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Jerry yeah. Tamayo is probably synonymous with like satan 
in 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 the lore that I heard about Jerry. See, see, that's very interesting. And I have, I had Jerry's good side. So I have like, and I know that part of Jerry because I've heard stories. And I was talking about this with my mom the other day. I lived in her good side. I didn't live in her shadow side. And she was two completely different people because I, and she even was able to hide that from the people that were on her good side. I didn't know she was creating all of this pain. Yeah, she created a lot of pain for a lot of people. And yet, and yet she did to me too, except that I was so, so codependently entwined with her that like, I, it was like, um, I took the pain and service of her for her. Right. Like I was her, I was like, I was like Dobby. You know, you were parentified though so much. Like you were parentified. Oh yeah. I saw that. Yeah. Interesting that you bring up that term. And, and she said this to me. At one point, she was going through something emotionally, and she was like, all of these little kids around her, 13, 14-year-old kids, we were like these girls in the prayer room one night, and she was just like emotionally a wreck. And we were like, do you know, she was, she like, I was in my third or fourth year, so she might have been the year before you. And she was like doing a a dowsing, like a like with the crystal, like you hold the crystal over the person, and yeah. she's like trying to find the energy center. And like I was like massaging her, and we were like therapizing Jerry. She said to me, she said, "You guys took care of your moms, didn't you? Like you took care of your parents, and were sort of like a parent to your parents." And I didn't know this. Like I was so fully in there, you know. I had no self awareness but when she said that it's sort of like I was like oh like the woman who was using me Jerry was identifying how I was used by my parents and then she was and then she was calling herself out in essence that she was using us and it all sort of like crystallized in that moment I was like oh oh I guess so but then I had this this my my own self-identity was caring person you know loving person um, the person who takes care of everybody and who lives for the sake of others, like that was my self-concept. So when she said that, it only served to prove how I was in the right, I was doing the right thing. I was in my role. Not that it was completely abusive and, and, and or like emotionally like u- using me, you know? Yeah. I mean, I see that. I see, I see these words of praise, but they actually just further split that identity. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just harder to get back to yourself mm-hmm. to that, to that. I'm going to say it's like a nexus event. The Colleen who, the Karin, Colleen, Karen. Yeah. So what? just for the, for the audience, for the listener, I'm Colleen at home. Like with all the kids that I grew up with, my sister and my brother call me Colleen because my name is Karin, Karin. And, um, you know, it's hard to to roll your R's. So my brother and sister called me Colleen and then all the friends called me Colleen. But now I like the way that I, I say my name is Karin. So Karin. I like that. Yeah. I've yeah. always called you Karin, but then I read it and I was like, it's Karen. <laughs> what? So confusing. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay. Ah. What was I going to say? Oh my God. Colleen. Um, Oh wow! I'm gonna have to rewind this and see. What- well, you were we were talking about how I was like parentified and like that that was praised and. Oh right. Okay. Yeah, it was praised. It, it probably felt really good to hear like that. Oh yeah. You were taking care of Jerry, Sensei Nim, like Uma. 
and yeah you were like on the cusp of being an omar yourself like you were an unni for so long and you're you know you're you're doing the right thing you're on the right path but like really like where does that leave julia or colleen <laughs> like the clean you know it's no but you're no you're 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 on track you're on track i mean like i am okay I'm at this precipice in my life, like I said, like trying to like get my story out there so I can go to my next chapter. And at this next chapter, like I am a badass empowered woman who has good boundaries, you know, and who is takes care of myself first. Right. And I'm here to be of service to the world. I think much of our generation, we want to make the world better. You know, that's something I think that's like I think a lot of people of our generation can relate to. I mean, like our world is like going to hell in a handbasket or whatever, right? Like the environment's shit and politics are amok. And so I think a lot of us want to like make our mark in the world somehow. I think that's something we can relate. Um, but the way the way that I was raised was like to forego my needs before in in value of like taking care of others. So like, sorry, I'm kind of like I've I've sort of gone in and <laughs> A tangent and lost my my focus here but what am I trying to say oh yeah this this new version of me um I've totally lost my train of thought Renee me too I'm <laughs> gonna have to like recenter <laughs> we're gonna edit the <laughs> shit out of this um I'm just Here's like getting, I'm getting lost in this like identity um diffusion I mean that happened like you're not just talking about your story like you're also I'm also right there with you like GOP was a nexus event it shouldn't have happened in any reality. It happened in this reality. We became totally different people. We got spread like butter across the whole world instead of just staying in a like a little safe place and growing up. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so, mu so much of me got spread so thin going to GOP and then trying to make sense of that reality and culture shock and, and all the abuses that took place in GOP. It was so hard to make sense of any of it and just kind of shut down and went went with it and seeked little words of praise and it made it better like mm. that you were probably good at taking care of your mom mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think yeah in that in that conversation with Jerry I think she was she was like kind of just saying like oh you guys are like little parents I don't know like what her point was I think she was just sort of like I think there was a part of her that felt a little guilty and she's actually um made comment to my mom in the past um like years after korea that she essentially she felt guilty that she used me yeah like so she she was self-aware and yet continued to do so and um it's interesting as i'm talking right now about this time of my life i found my voice changing a little bit like to the, the way that i used to talk like it's very interesting like i'm sort of transforming or transporting being transported but um yeah in a nutshell, I very much became Jerry's like right hand person and I'm getting teary. So this is definitely good. It's like go getting into some gut emotion there. But I felt like it was my duty to take care of all of the kids in the dorm and all of the kids in the church across the whole world. And I was, yeah, I was definitely like, I was formed into being a leader and I really took it to heart. Like I really took it to heart. And I, for me, I'll just say for me, like what happened for me was that 
there's like an innocent and true place inside of my my being my soul that my spirit that really like I love God like I still do like like not God the way we were raised to believe in God but like maybe just call it like love or like the mystery the thing you know this this force right I've always had like this this part of me that was devoted to something bigger and I think that was like inherited through my ancestry like my mom's side of the family was very religious and just saying now I'm not religious at all at all at all but there's something in me that's like like I love God I don't know how to say it in another way but that was that was used in the church and in the dorm so like whatever the church was saying whatever the indoctrination was I took it and ran with it and I was like I want to save the world you know and all of you guys like you and my sister and everybody around me I wanted them to all be you know loved and saved right like whatever that meant by the indoctrination is like it was like all this love in my heart just went and I wanted to like embrace you all, you know, and but it was infused with this sick indoctrination like this. It was messed up stuff, but I didn't know that, of course. And I was just like, let's go create the ideal world and like, let's be free of the world's sins. You know, I didn't want you all to fall, you know, and keep you all safe in God's God's embrace. And um, so with that heart and that mind I became Colleen Unney that that just did all the right things that everybody was telling me to do. <laughs> I'm, I feel like I'm witnessing you. Wow. Like for the first time. I love I love that you're able to talk really? like, yes, it's amazing. Aww. It's amazing. That, that was authentic. <laughs> like I remember seeing you and not being able to see you. Yeah. But now I feel like I, I can see Aww. you. Aww. It's really nice. Aww. I want to hug you. Oh, you had so much responsibility. <laughs> like you were waking up early, right? Early to wake everybody up. You were reading. You were there in the prayer hall. You were singing. You were playing guitar. And you were always putting yourself last. So that Aww. we were we would be inspired to like stay in this shithole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we would Renee, be happy to be there. It's so sad. Like I see your tears and I feel it. And like, I'm just seeing like all the sides now, right? Like I didn't know how much of a hell you and my sister were in. And that makes my heart hurt. And like I said, like we come by it all. Honestly, I meant so well. I really did, but I was completely blinded by the the indoctrination shit. Yeah. Point of a lot of pain and God. God was a lot of pain. I mean, it's but you made it nice. Like <laughs> like there, I guess there, to some there, degree. Melina would yeah. say differently. <laughs> no, but like there were like genuine moments like breaking out into group and actually having conversations and enjoying song and warm embraces mm. and massages you know we there was a it. lot of massaging there was a lot of massaging <laughs> uh, snack nights were always fun we really hard we went hardcore on snacks we did <laughs> but like the emotional restriction and the identity restriction and the just everything was so painful. It was like 
like living in a shoe that just didn't fit. Man. Yeah. I want to know more about all of that because like my side of the road, my side of the story was like very different. Like I was in a bubble. I like, and I think for me, that's my process now is like how to get, I need to get out of that. But I mean, it's still like many years later, I'm still like, you know, as we will continue to unravel, but I must've just been fully, like I fully adopted this mentality so much so that I didn't feel torn. Like, it sounds like you and maybe like Molina, like there was like, you were fighting yourselves because you wanted to do the right thing. And yet you felt like it was all bull crap. Like it was like, this is stupid shit right? Like you were able to see that I didn't have that back and forth. I was just like fully in it. So what did that feel like? Like, what did that feel like? I want to know your side too. But yeah, for me, it was like, I had no doubts. I had certainty, which is what I'm trying to find in my life now. Actually, I'm trying to find self-certainty, like that I can believe in myself, And that I can self-motivate to have a life for myself. Like, this is my struggle. Like, if you talk to my sister or my brother, I have a lot of pain. This is, this is a little, a little bit of a sidetrack, but just to say that, like, the result of being that certain in the church, the backlash for me is that I have not figured out how to be a human being on earth that is certain of my choices, because I only know how to be certain about this ideology that had nothing to do with my ego So now like I'm trying to form a life for myself where I can like make money and take care of my basic needs. I don't know how to do that. Like I don't have those muscles. I never had like a sense of self. So what it was like for me is sort of like can be explained in the backlash of what I just said. And at the time when I was a kid, I was I was God's pawn. I accepted myself as God's pawn. And that was who I was. So yeah, like when it came to like I'm not eating or I'm not sleeping or I'm sacrificing like none of those things Matt like they didn't register to me it was just like I could do anything like I was like I was just I could do it do you know what I mean like it was like it was like I was married I was married to the church I was committed and I was going to be a loyal person to this idea to this family and I just didn't have doubt yeah And I guess not having doubt lifted me. It gave me power. Maybe that was something true there too. And I think that's why people like, they like cults and religions because they find that they're empowered by losing their self. Like I've talked to people recently who are like Catholics and really devoted Catholics and they were trying to convert me. And I was like, hey girl, there's no effing way I'm going to join any religion for the rest of this life for sure. So just, you can stop trying. But the way that I see her, she's like completely fully committed and has no doubt and she she seems to have the sense of bliss about her you know what I mean yeah Yeah. and so that was kind of like what I had I had bliss because my ego was dead and I belonged to this church this god this identity and there was some power there there was yeah I can see that you were yeah I can see that I mean how else would you get the strength to take care of 50 kids yeah (laughs) yeah and I'm glad we got to this this kind of point of the journey because this is like what I'm, this is, yeah, this is like the graduation that I'm coming to in my life is like how to, how, how to be self-empowered for my life. Like it's been very hard for me to be able to like 
identify that this person, this human body has value and worth to have a life, to have needs met and to to have goals and all that's very, very hard for me um, because all I ever, like all my muscles, my self muscles, my personality muscles were developed to be a devoted Unification Church member, which, yeah, I had a lot of power there and I want that power for me now. <laughs> yeah, I can, I, I think I can say you're like the most devoted person I've interviewed as a second gen on this podcast. Right, I bet. You gave your life. You really yeah. sacrificed everything. Like yeah, you're, you like there was no doubt that you were on the right path. You yeah. got married at what age? I was eighteen. Yeah, you were eighteen. You went to father's matching. Did you get picture matched? Yeah, I got picture matched. You got like I was like picture matched. The most hardcore kind of yeah. You, can we just experience? So this is this is mind blowing for me right now. I'm just like, wow, wow. It is so different. We had such different experiences. So different. Yeah. And yet, and yet, here we are sharing the stories. Yeah. I'm really grateful for you, Renee. Thank you for being an objective listener to hear a different person's, you know, story from yours. I was actually a little bit like unsure, like how we'd be able to understand or not understand, but like, because you're, you were very much my sister's like really good friend you guys had similar journeys and I always knew that like my journey was so different and this has always been difficult for my relationship with my sister who I love with all of my heart and it's like we spoke two different languages you know and but I've always understood understood that well I've always wanted to understand her and like feel like she felt understood but I feel like it's been hard it's it's hard inside of a family you know especially a home that was so abused (laughs) so anyways I'm just grateful that you could hear hear that out a little bit and see yeah yeah I mean I've heard I've heard that this can happen like people feel confidence and feel empowered by their religion I mean that's the allure of cult Mm -hmm. you said it yourself that's the allure of religion you can be so Mm -hmm. certain and I mean wars are waged on this this kind of attitude you're not alone like this is yeah 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 yeah. this is this is history this is yeah human psychology yeah but how do you get back in touch with your own desires after yeah. living like yeah. that for so long that that is that is the journey that I'm on Renee that is the journey that I'm on and it feels really good to talk about with you because you have a unique perspective of like having seen me grown up so it's like cool to share it with somebody who has like that understanding yeah I can... but that is the journey that I'm on absolutely so that was sort of like what I said to you, like that going to Korea was that, that like you said, nexus. And for me, it was like zero to 13. I was a person. I was me, whatever that was. Still, still like in an emotionally abusive home, like still indoctrinated to some degree. But Korea was like the atom bomb of like complete transformation to be a Mooney. And so everything that I was dropped away, I was going to be the, the most, you know, moony you could be. Can you, um, can you just say what your routine was? Yeah. During that In Korea? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So, I mean, first year got, right. I was, I was being formed. I was still a little bratty child. 
And I'll tell you like what might've been like turning points for me. I wanted to mention this as I was talking about this, but it was like middle child, people pleaser, and just the way that God made me, like my personality. I'm very much like, I love harmony. You know, I want everyone to get along, you know? So I'm in, I'm in my first year. I'm in a completely new place. I'm not aware of this so much, but I'm very happy to be away from my dad, which the home that we grew up in was very emotionally distraught place. And I felt suffocated there. And I also felt like my personality couldn't shine. Like I knew this, I was like, I want to get away because I was such an introvert and I was so shy back home in New Jersey. And like, I, I didn't feel like I was expressing myself fully. And so I like, I wanted to get away so that I could like become a new person. And I felt like GOP was going to be that opportunity for me. And I had my, my Annie, um, who I told you about, who was the reason I went, one of the main reasons I went. And I wanted to be like her. She was like you, Renee. She was like very crazy and like outgoing and, and playful. And she like didn't give a fuck about what people thought of her. Like she said everything that was on her mind. And so like I really like looked up to her. I adored her. And I was taken under her wing. And because she was already in the program for two years, she knew everybody. She knew soul. She knew like how to get around and everybody adored her. So like she kind of took me under her wing and I immediately was a cool kid in Korea because of her. So I like was like, I'm going to be essentially like I'm going to be popular. I'm going to be outgoing and I'm going to like that was just like my I, I was determined to like be that person. And, and she sort of allowed me to be that person. So nobody knew who I was like from Adam and um, all the friends that were there, they just thought I was like a cool outgoing girl. <laughs> so that was sort of got for me. It was like how to, how to, how to be more outgoing. And, um, and I had so much fun and I was like, just, I had a good time. Like you said, Neverland, you know, like we played sports all the time. You know, sometimes we would play sports like out under the stars, you know, and um, uh, capture the flag. And I was very like very athletic and I loved that. And I loved beating the boys. And my brother was there for the first half of my year there. And it was fun to spend time with him. And, you know, everybody looked up to Toku. So I was also it was like, oh, you're Toku's little sister, you know, and like all the older opas and the unis like they they took care of me and they really loved me. And then, so that was part of it was like, you know, you don't, you don't just like go join a cult, right? You like, you don't just get indoctrinated. You actually, you, you are part of a system and, 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 a, and a culture, um, you know, like a group of people. And so for me, it was like, I wanted to impress and please the people around me. So I saw that the people that that were looked upon well were the ones who were reading the divine principle who were giving lectures who were speaking korean really well like those were the people that you admired so that meant that i wanted to be like i wanted to be and i wanted to be like he's like way older and he was he was there that was like his fourth year when i was there and he's like fluent in korean like fluent in divine principle and and he was funny and he was fun. And I really liked him like as an older brother. So I wanted all of these people to like me. Right. And, and that was part of my people pleasing personality. So 
in order to be so I think this I'm getting to like the 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 essence here I'm just realizing this for myself that my indoctrination was not just because like I was a devoted person and that I liked God it was also because I wanted everybody to like me and that was like a big part of it it was also family too it was our tribe yeah these people yes. look like you they're half Asian yeah understand the thoughts and and the yeah, patterns it, it makes sense yeah because yeah yeah when I was in Nutley like everybody was white everybody was Italian everybody was Catholic and blonde and um all of the families hung out together and we were like weirdos you know our family and I never felt like I belonged anywhere and even in the church like in the local church I felt awkward and weird and when I went to Korea everything was different it was like neverland and i could be this new person and that new person was going to be just because of the essence of what the dorm was which was an indoctrination factory i was going to become indoctrinated like that was the path that i was on that kind of sums it up like yeah wanting to please people indoctrination factory yeah right that's what it was that's why moon funded it like it was fully funded uh, you forgot about the the little angels was a really big part of why people would send their kids there. Yeah, it was like Juilliard, Korean Juilliard. And of course, none of us really got to do that. The Japanese cohort, the Japanese program, they did it differently. They made sure that their students were actually doing an art, picking a. But like, I think my brother went there to do violin, and I think he did, but I don't think he was really into it. And our the Western program did not. Um, support discipline in the arts at all no so it was like actually going back to your Juilliard versus Little Angels next yeah it was like well if you're not going to get into Juilliard which you applied hey there's Little Angels which is on par sure and my mom thought that we could do our art there but then she did not continue to support us to do so she didn't send me over with a violin she didn't send me over with a clarinet and she didn't say, make sure you go and choose little angels. I chose the Buddhist school. I didn't yeah. choose little angel schools. So for people that are listening, I just want to say that little angels is a really prestigious Academy in Seoul, Korea that was funded by moon because he wanted to entertain his politicians. Like he created basically Korean Juilliard for touring around the world with very talented 12 year olds that do ballet that sing that do traditional Korean dance. And they're so, amazing. They're and they're so amazing. Good. And yeah. we were literally within, uh, what, like a 10 block radius of this school. So GOP. It was behind the dorm. It was yeah. like right there. It was yeah. right there. So it was like, it, we thought we were getting admitted into basically like a straight shot line into Juilliard, Korean Juilliard. Yeah. Our parents thought that too. Cause I remember like uh, my dad thinking that I was going to get into the arts program. Yeah. Cause when you applied to go to GOP, you included what, skills you had like what what things that you did you know I yeah, was playing yeah. violin I was playing clarinet yeah oh, shit, that makes sense about why so many of us were so creative like and right and sent and it was like a a black hole for all of us because yes we didn't nourish that part it we all didn't died get into we, it we all didn't died to little angels we didn't yes get, there was studying Korean and studying the divine principle yes now, we were tricked because we thought we were going to get into arts, get into music. There's so many talented people in golf. There's so many talented kids. We lost the thread completely. Like I was a straight A student too. Like I got in, we were all getting in because we did well in school. And we were, when we were talented in, in other fields, like in, in arts and stuff like that. So right. all of that, all of that disappeared. 
completely. Wow, this is making so much more sense. So like weird. I, I was, I was okay. I was in eighth grade when I went to GOP. I was starting to get into like I needed to be my level of math, you know, was getting to a you know more complicated degree in eighth grade. You know, seventh grade math for me was hard. I had always been a straight A student in elementary school. And in seventh grade, I remember feeling like challenged for the first time, I think, in my life academically. And at that point, that was when I dropped off the face of the earth. I went to GOP and I was back studying like fifth grade math, fifth grade, like um, grammar, like our American studies, our Western studies were shit. It's like shit pancake. <laughs> and yeah. and then it was just Korean immersion. That is the one thing that I think you and I have that was a gift from GOP was that we now speak another language. That part of our brain was used, but that was the only thing. <laughs> yeah. And even I'm losing a lot of that. Like, oh, me too. Because it's not even, I'm not even immersed in any of that. Yeah. So, wow. I just, it's just making sense why there were so many smart and talented 12 year olds there. But Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a revelation for me. I didn't even think about that. It was really, it was, um, what's it called? False advertising. <laughs> like, like catfishing. Yeah. We, we got catfished. Absolutely. Into this indoctrination factory. They even, they even catfished our parents. You know, Renee, I think that like there was an intentionality that all the stuff that we said would happen, like, cause the Japanese program did it. The Western program, it was the people that were running it had no fucking clue how to do they didn't care about that stuff but i think if they had if they had hired different people to run the program it would have been different but that was that was the culture that they created and they just ran with it i want to um yeah so people that were running gop didn't know how the fuck the system works because the japanese actually got into like the little oh, angels they, they actually mm -hmm. went on they did the whole seven-year course in korea they graduated from university the japanese dorm had a whole different dorm it was they, a different world they, they yeah. had their overflow in our western dorm but they had their own dorm that was very well developed there was thousands of kids on that dorm do you remember visiting that dorm for sports events the japanese what are you talking about the Japanese had a different dorm altogether. No, they lived well. In my year, we all lived in the same building. We did, but then there was an there was an other university. Maybe this is a whole different. I, I'll have to. I'm just going to put a pin in this because I remember visiting a whole different dorm, like a Japanese Where? dorm. I like want to say we did like a sports event, and it was a whole no. different dorm. What? I mean, I'm not saying that, that that didn't happen, but I just don't know anything about yeah, this. Yeah, I'm just going to put a pin in that. Maybe it was a different school, but I remember visiting a whole different like Japanese dorm okay. and seeing that it was like a really good university. It was run totally different. Fascinating. Yeah, look into that and tell me what but you fuck find. If I know, it's just a memory I had of us getting into a bus, all of us, and then unloading and like having a sports event with other what? Japanese people. They weren't Korean. They were Japanese. Was that not at Chungpyeong? No, it was in Seoul. We were because later on they did create a school at Chungpyeong. I, I remember that I visited that one too, but that was a different okay. one. That, that was, was a different, different one. one. Interesting. I'm just gonna put a pin in that memory. Maybe maybe somebody that's listening can be like, yeah, I kind of remember something like that, or maybe it was just something else, and they can clarify it. Okay. Well, yeah. So either way, the memory that I have is their dorm was in our dorm. Their program was in our dorm but it was completely run differently and they had their own system and everything and, yeah. and that's true i remember that too they had their own yeah. they had prayer hall in the basement their prayer room was in the basement right 
I mean, okay, so there were like, while there were about 40 to 50 tops Western students, there were 200 plus Japanese students. Mm. And the Japanese students were way more strict. Like they wouldn't, oh, yeah. the boys wouldn't even look at the girls. You know, I always get cold when we do like really deep shadow work. <laughs> so I'm getting cold. So I know it's we're going real deep. I know what you mean. Actually, sometimes when I'm having conversations with people where it, like it goes deep and maybe I'm not quite ready for it. I'm not sure like why, but sometimes I don't just get cold. I start to like shake. Yes, me too. Does that happen? Yes, it happens to me too. I find when I'm like feeling, maybe it's because like I feel grounded with you, like you're a good listener. So I'm not, which I'm grateful for because I don't like you. <laughs> yeah, it's no fun. I just know I'm getting there yeah like just so many revelations like and some things you know it would happen so long ago we were in a dissociative state maybe I remember a different dorm that wasn't there or it's just really interesting talking to you because I haven't been able to relate to anybody about these experiences Mm -hmm. in DOP really deeply yeah Okay. okay but I wanted to get into um I wanted to get into your schedule like what did it look like oh yeah let's say your second year of GOP, what did the motions of Colleen look like? What I remember is, yeah, I did get up early. And right, because we had, (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm just laughing, remembering this, the way that you described how I was like, I, I like got up early and all that. Yeah, like I had all this energy to do all that. And I think part of it too is like, my family is a very competitive family. Like, do you know that about us? Like, especially like Toku and Molina. That's why I love Molina. <laughs> with games and stuff. Oh yeah. Oh my God, I love her spirit. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so that's like, I think we inherited that on two sides. Like my mom is so competitive and also very determined. Like once she decides something, she's like full thousand percent into it. And that's how she was in the church. Um, I inherited that character trait from her. And then my dad too, he's like the most devoted person. His deal with the church was like, he was going to be the cameraman. He was going to be early for every event and he was going to do this. And he did this for 30 plus years. He never veered off of that. And that was kind of, so like we inherited from these two sides, like very determined, competitive kind of energies. So for me, when it came to like being a a good church member and a good older sister in the dorm it was like I'm gonna do everything like a thousand percent right so that was part of it and that's why I was like kind of laughing was like yeah I I was gonna wake up early and I was gonna be the first one in the in the prayer room and yeah so um morning service right morning service was 7 30 in the morning I think or eight o'clock in the morning I can't remember so I would wake up and my god I must have been so annoying as an unmi, because I would wake up and I'd be like, everybody get up. It's time for morning service and always so chipper. Yeah, you can chip it. You can, you can say something. No, yeah. I remember. They keep going. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, earlier, I was saying that the my first year, I was still a little brat, but there was a turning point for me. I remember halfway through the year where I was like, one of my unnies was disappointed in me for some reason. And like disappointment was one of those things that would get me. It was like it was like a, a a taser to my system, like, oh no, I can't disappoint somebody, especially somebody I looked up to. So I remember one of my unies like was disappointed in me halfway through the year. She's like, 
I forget what she said, but it like broke me up. And I think that was when like I kicked into gear and I was like, oh, I have to be a good, a good, um, whatever, you know, like I have to be better. So, so that was my first year. And then second year. So now I'm an auntie, I'm an older sister and I have to set the right example. So yeah, I just remember I would wake up early I'd wake everybody up. I would be the first one in the prayer room and I would probably be praying (laughs) before everybody came in. And then, and then everybody would like file in. I remember standing at the front of the prayer room and like welcoming everybody. Good morning. Good morning. And everybody's like, Oh, you know, and I was like, (laughs) it's a great new day guys. Every day. It's like, today's a new day. Yes, Yes, it is a new day in hell. (laughs) And, and I, (laughs) so I was like, I I was in a different, different plane of existence because I was happy because I was doing you know what for me felt like my purpose you know so I like I was aligned in my heart mind body I was like yeah this is what I'm supposed to be doing so I felt energized and I also loved singing and I love singing and I love music so we sang every morning and every night Mm -hmm. and I really loved that because I'm you know that part of the musical part of me was really like into that so yeah I would sing and I would sing really be really into it <laughs> um, powerful music is powerful plus we're all yeah, a bunch me, of creative kids it's music powerful. is powerful yeah i mean i know a lot of people look back and like are like annoyed at the songs we sang but for me like they were joyful i liked them lean on me no, i'm just <laughs> kidding um exactly uh, for some reason i think i i don't know if this was my year or if this was only on sundays i remember getting up at 6 30 and having to be at school at eight o'clock on the dot is that no not no maybe it was i just remember impio standing at the front door punishing us if we weren't out of that you guys had the fucking militant dude impio melina told me about him yeah i mean he was he he was at the end of my last year but okay so i wasn't different i wasn't his minion i was already an unni and he treated me well because i was like the older sister so we didn't have that shit. And I think they might have changed times for you guys. Okay. So this is the, okay. I'm just, I'm just grabbing details. Interesting. Thank you. Yeah. So, okay. I'm just remembering like, maybe it was like, okay, then I think breakfast was at eight and then, and then school was school class must've started. That's so weird, right? Class starting at nine seems kind of late, but maybe it was like eight, eight thirty, And then we would rush off to class. We'd have breakfast and then you'd rush to class. So you were supposed to be, as you know, you're supposed to be all dressed in your, you know, school uniform for morning, for morning service. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. Yeah. You were supposed to be in your uniform for morning service. Although I sometimes remember wearing regular clothes, but I can't remember now. Oh, no, I know what it was. We were not forced to wear a uniform for morning service. We would change like after breakfast. But I think, oh, I know. When you were in your second, third, fourth years, whatever, and you were going to like regular school, you had to be dressed because school did start earlier. So it was different if you were, depending on what year you were in. Anyway, so yeah, then I would go to school. In my, in my, um, once I started going to Korean public school, my life was different. And also um, things changed for me because I became, my parents weren't able to pay for my dorm fees. So I moved out of the dorm to, I, I, yeah, I hopped around. Um, I started at, I can't remember everything, 
a lot of my life was a blur. <laughs> and but I did do a homestay. Um, and Jerry found different homestays for me where they wanted somebody to practice English with or whatever. Mm. Yeah. Um, but like one homestay woman, she was like really lonely and being being a sensitive, like emotionally sensitive person. I remember feeling like really burdened by her. Like she just like really like leaned on me. She was lonely and lived by herself, like a woman in her late 30s or early 40s. And I felt really weird like living in her house. So I told Jerry I couldn't live there anymore. And then I don't remember what, what I did, but I was, I was, there was a period of time. Oh, and then I lived with a, a church family for a little while. So I think that went on for like a year or half a year because my parents couldn't afford the tuition. So during that time, I, I remember I had rollerblades and I would rollerblade um, to my homestay or from my homestay to school. And then I would go directly from school back to the dorm. So like, and then I was also teaching English. I started teaching English to make money. And then at a certain point, I started paying my own tuition. Like they, they like made a deal because they wanted me in the dorm because they needed the uni there or whatever. <laughs> and so I don't remember the details because I didn't talk about the money stuff my parents worked that out with the dorm but um yeah I did I did homestay for half a year and during that time I would rollerblade and it was really funny I would like rollerblade through the markets and like through the the soul streets and I would like be in my school uniform and go to school take off my rollerblades and put on sneakers and then one day I remember I went to school this, this Buddhist school and I forgot my sneakers and I was just in my rollerblades and I was like one minute late at the gate and like they, they wouldn't let me in and I was crying I was like I don't have my shoes and it was so embarrassing and then like one of my unnies was able to like get them from the dorm for me or I borrowed somebody's I don't know what it was but anyways I had this whole other life so yeah yeah I was a working girl I was like the the English teaching I was making money I had my own Korean bank account and like I was like able to like take funds from that and like buy snacks for myself and I taught English to the um I had different jobs but one of my long-term jobs was I was teaching English to kids at Little Angel School like a class of like 30 people from the ages of like 4 to 13 like a whole range and it was just like an English conversation class but I had to have like a program every day and I would lose my voice and I had a I had a I had a woman's um a uh, pantsuit a gray pantsuit that I bought to look professional and like the kids thought I was like in my 30s I was like 15 <laughs> I was teaching English at little angel school and you know making $20 an hour yeah so that was a whole thing that I did and so then I was like this working girl and I would go back to the dorm and then I was fully committed to like teaching the kids at the dorm as well and so like I had this like full like grown-up kind of life where like I wasn't even just a dorm kid like I was like living on my own teaching going to school and coming back to the dorm and I would like be part of the GOT program and like do the lectures and all of that and like whatever program we were into I'm not sure if this is correct but the tuition rate increased because Moon cut his donations to the to the school that sounds that sounds accurate but I don't know I thought in my year it went from like ten thousand a year to twenty thousand a year. I think I remember that. Actually, I think I remember that happening where it's like, oh yeah, they were pulling funding specifically from the Western program. Yes, 
Yes. Because yeah. we, it was funded by the church. I want to say like the tuition was being funded by our parents' donations. Like that's why we could have this school. I mean, you, church donations. You know, in my brother's year, there was always a high fee. My uncle in Japan was was paying part of it. I, I mean, there was, was a living 10, fee. 000. Yeah, there was a $10,000 living fee, but my year went up to 20000 Okay. Okay. I remember that because my dad had to go to the casino and he like won $20,000 one night and called and was like, I, I got your tuition. <laughs> Don't let it get you wrong. Like he did lose a, a lot of money too. <laughs> but one night he decided to pay the tuition. That's a but lot of money. It was a lot of money. Yeah. It was a lot of money. And it, I think he didn't pay for my college because of it. Like, like he was like, I already paid for your college tuition back in top. I was like, okay, fair, fair deal. Thank you. Damn. Not like they're, you know, not like they owe us anything, but it was difficult. Mm. It was difficult because he was a doctor. So I didn't qualify for any aid or anything for college. Um, for college. Yeah. For FAFSA until that's, I was 25. That's fucked up. And then I hit the ground running and I fucking got, as soon as I got <coughs> FAFSA, I got my degree as soon as I got it. Wow. That's amazing. But yeah, GOP was so expensive. Yeah. So fucking expensive. For what? There was four of us in a room. A little there was room. Four of you. There was four of you. There was six in my year. Yeah, in one room, there was only like one public bathroom for the girls, one public shower room for all of the kids. There was a lot of nudity. There's a lot. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. A lot of it's like twenty thousand. I mean, we're talking about nineteen ninety nine, two thousand. Like that's a lot of fucking money. They were paying month to month though, right? Mm, I can't remember. If it was month to month, it was like two thousand dollars a month. Thousand a month. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Wow. And our parents with such a high fee, they really thought and they were giving us like a real like my dad even to this day says it was a world-class education like that was your world did you class. correct him <laughs> no i can't i don't i i i said something about world class but like i didn't even leave that school knowing math or english or history or anything well doesn't he does he know that now no he still thinks it's a world-class education because it's so expensive you put a price tag on dog shit people are gonna buy it and think it's fucking fertilizer like no but best. wait so he doesn't believe you or what there's a certain level of cognitive dissonance okay because i've definitely brought it up to my mom and said you know she understands that like it was shit yeah she feels she feels guilty <laughs> <laughs> he says like oh at least you know some korean you know okay okay cool yeah it sounds like something my dad would have how he would have acknowledged it yeah it is like really ripped off the first gen we're twenty thousand dollars you were the staff you were paying to live there like the only dorm parents we had were like two four people i don't even think you guys were getting paid like why was it so much money dorm no, they were being paid paid per like were they actually getting a paycheck or just a place to live i don't know but when actually that's a good question about the dorm parents i'm sure they were getting paid some money absolutely they were getting paid when i was staff in your second year when I came to meet my husband, <laughs> um, that's a whole other story, right? To go into, but I, I got paid as staff. Good. I think I got paid 20, 20 an hour for like a work day, 
of course the workday extended 24 hours because you were always on call but yeah you lived with us um yeah so you got paid twenty dollars an hour starting at what eight o'clock till six or eight to eight i i was i was always the kind of person that i was like i don't care what you're paying me because i'm doing god's work you know so i actually don't think i really paid attention to the specifics okay yeah that's good to know yeah but i did get paid so i mean and i was just like auxiliary staff so i'm sure that the dorm parents were being paid do you know if um the stf volunteers were being paid stf volunteers oh probably not like stf the kids that got injured on stf that couldn't walk anymore they'd send them to to cop to gop to work as staff like you remember that I do. I'm sorry. You're just like, it just like washed over me. Colleen talked about some real personal shit. So y'all aren't allowed into that stuff. So <laughs> beep, here we go. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Yeah. So, so, you know, we're in the dorm at 16 years old, people were trying to marry me, marry me off. Yeah. I remember when I was 16, you know, like I'm like coming into my womanhood, you know, I remember feeling the glow of me becoming a woman I know that sounds really weird but because because I knew that I would soon be matched and married it was on my mind that I was coming into the place of being an adult woman who would be married and I remember 16 years old sort of as that pivotal time of like I remember the the grown-ups looking at me with who is she going to be married to yeah, yeah, who can we marry her off to? And and I just want to put for, for perspective that is totally inappropriate and completely not okay. But that is yeah. the reality yeah. we grew up in because that's yeah. I yeah I, I I saw it. I saw it. Yeah. 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 And you know, also we'll we'll talk about like hormones and like natural biology, right? Like most kids that age are dating um holding hands with a guy or girl whatever your preference is and like who they are as a relational being right like that's a time for where that happens i think naturally you know biologically speaking and so for me when that i was feeling all of those feelings now i was now a person who was fully indoctrinated so i i had a lot of those feelings um normal like human feelings right sexual stuff we're talking about well like maybe like feeling attraction to somebody all of that stuff was really repressed for me in particular I know all of us were repressed but I I remember like I remember I don't remember because also like everything I had to like shut everything down so like I know I had crushes on guys and that's the extent to which it would go I don't think I ever really like because you know whatever it was I was going to get matched to one person and that person was going to be my person for the rest of my life so I thought that there was no point in like thinking about anybody else or anything like that so all of these like natural things are happening for me where I'm like starting to like want to be in a relationship and all of that was funneled into um who my match was going to be and we had a term for it your your future spouse oh yeah it was a real thing yeah like your future you think about your future spouse don't do that because it's going to disappoint your future spouse what would your oh. future spouse say how would he feel how does god feel like for you to be so selfish <laughs> and yeah. have a crush and explore your agency and right 
Yeah. Sorry. Trigger. Trigger warning. Yeah. 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 But like people don't talk about future spouse like the way we did. Like it was as real as Santa Claus. Yeah. I remember there was a time when I went to Changpyeong. So I'm sure Changpyeong came up in your in your podcast, but Changpyeong was like a workshop workshop of hell. <laughs> but like it was supposed to be heaven, actually. I call it and, the and- gulags. It's the gulags, like the prison camps where you go to die. Oof. oof, oof. Yeah. I mean, and as as a hardcore Mooney at the time for me as a as I mean a growing child, but I went to Changpyeong a lot. Like I I would make my own money and tell the dorm parents when I was older, like I'm going to Changpyeong. I did 21 days. I don't know if I ever did a 40 day, but I might have, but I did like several 21 days. Um, yeah, I really liked going to Changpyeong. And I think I liked going there because I felt closer to God, but I also liked being away and like on my own and just in nature there. But um, I remember one time when I was there and this, a whole, there was like a big, um, like a workshop, like a big thing where people from all over the world came and a lot of um, second gen from America came. And so I remember seeing like this influx of all of these kids that spoke English Cause you know, it was just like 40 kids that were Westerners in the dorm. And then everybody else that we interacted with out in the world in Korea were usually Asian, usually Korean, Japanese. And if you ever went to Changpyeong, Changpyeong was like this international hub for the church, but there weren't a lot of Westerners that were coming there, like not a lot. So when I went this one time, there was like this huge like influx of people. And I remember just seeing this like one cute guy and he was the second gen that I had never met. He was a little bit older than me. He was from California. And it wasn't even, I wouldn't even, it was a crush, but I didn't, I wouldn't even call it a crush because I was like 16. I was being funneled into being married. And I was like, oh my God, maybe I get matched to him. Right. Like that's where my mind went. Right. And it was intense. Like I followed him. He didn't know I existed. <laughs> And I was just like, this is sort of the way my mind worked as like an indoctrinated Mooney child. But like, also, also, I think it's just like my personality where I would like idealize somebody and um, like fantasize. Like I, I had, I wanted to like full fantasy, like, anyways, he didn't know who I was. And yeah. I thought I was like in love with him. <laughs> you know, as a kid, our, our imagination is so powerful. It actually felt really good to live in an intense fantasy. It was, yeah. And you could just feel it with a, hey, <laughs> Like, and then just like yeah. off of one glance, one interaction, like you're yes. like, we're going to get made. Yes. Babies. Like I remember sitting behind my crush in high school or just walking slowly behind them. Like I did that too, girl, you're not alone. Like that was, yeah. that was the way that was the yeah. only way to, yeah, there was no reality there. Yeah. You couldn't, you couldn't even be seen looking at that person or you would get attacked like oh you want you think you're going to get matched to them you get like it went from full like zero to 100 real quick if exactly anybody, yeah caught on and that was dangerous so yeah real yeah dangerous. yeah yeah and I remember like he eventually like very soon after he got matched and blessed married and I remember feeling jealous of that woman because I, I thought that I might marry him and I was like in love with him and, you know, because it was like the time of AIM, like in, um, AOL Instant Messenger, you know, there was no texting and no Facebook and none of that really existed yet at the time. And I remember I chatted with him. Like we actually maybe became like, yeah, we became like AIM friends, whatever, through through like a second gen like chat group. 
Yeah. And I was chatting with him and then he told me that he got matched. I was so jealous. I remember being so jealous. And of course, later on in my life, as I grew up, I was like, I w- I'm like not interested in him like at all. But something in me at that time, like I was just like, oh, fully in love with this guy. It was the only way. I get it. Yeah. So, okay. So 16, I'm still in Korea. Okay. So we'll just like fast forward through my, my trajectory, but like, I wanted to stay in Korea because I wanted to, because I felt responsible. Like I felt responsible for the dorm and for the kids in it. And the dorm was sort of falling apart at toward the end of my time there. As you know, like the dorm parents changed and like when it changed, I felt like they complete the new dorm parents completely relied on me and because we, yes, because we three were like the, 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 the relics of the old dorm and, and they needed us to tell them what to do and how to do it. And so I stayed and I remember like, I look back on journal things that I wrote, I was getting depressed. I was really depressed and I felt purposeless and and I missed home. I missed my family. And I knew Melina missed me. And she she hated that I was gone. And she sort of like gave up on me ever coming home. And um, I, I and this is the way that I looked at it. And I know it sucks for like Melina and like for real relationships. Like I sucked at real relationships because I was only thinking about church shit. And my to Melina in my head, my sister was just like, I need to like be a good older sister and help her be in the whatever. And so in my, my conflict at that time, like at the last year in the, in the dorm was, I would write about this in my journal, like, um, I need to stay here for the dorm, but I feel pulled because I need to go home and take care of my brother and my sister. And like, I felt, I felt like responsible on both ends, but there was no me in this. And there was no like real relationship with these people at home. But anyways, I was like, psychologically speaking, I was like, shriveling away and I was like really depressed and I mean I was 16 17 now and like I think chemically speaking like you know your hormones change right like as you're going through those years of your life and I think I was like I think mental health issues started to become more potent for me or prominent which was like I was feeling depressed and um that became a theme in my life for sure is depression. And I think it started around that. And I think a lot of us can relate, especially those that went to the dorm, but where it's like all of our chemicals were out of whack. Cause like we weren't fed well, you know, we weren't, we weren't taken care of and mentally speaking too, like dissociation and all that. So that all was going on for me, but I didn't know it. Anyways, I finally decided to leave 2002, went home and I was so adrift. I was so adrift at home. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I had no education and I did not want to, if if I were to go into high school in, in America, I would have had to go two years back because they wouldn't have accepted my, my schooling in Korea. And I felt like that would be too humiliating and I couldn't do it. My brother did it. He went back two years. He's two years older than me. And he actually went back to high school and went into my year and he became like, peers with my the kids that I grew up with in school and I was like I can't do that so um do you know what I did so I was 17 and then like I was home for like maybe half a year and then 
September came around the, the sorry end of summer and STF was starting and I I don't know if you know this in my journey but I joined STF when I was 17 years old like just six months out of leaving Korea so you were supposed to be graduated high school and then you go to STF right I never took a day of high school in my life and I went to STF and they accepted me even though I was young there's just a lot there's a lot here like SCF was a whole thing my marriage was a whole thing and then my journey from like the last 10 plus years to get to where I am today is a whole thing but um STF like I you know I was a hardcore unification church citizen and I I I really devoted myself on STF fundraising you know living out of van in a van I started making a lot of money eventually it took me a while and I want to say just in a nutshell, like I mental health wise, like I totally had a dissociative split. And I think I like, it seems like when I look back on it, it was sort of like bipolar and it was like environmentally like forced, but I think I have the chemicals for that. My, I think it runs in my family um, where there's like bipolar. They sent me to Hawaii. I was making a lot of money. I was in it was a competition month so like everybody was competing to see who'd make the most money for that month i made an average of a thousand dollars a day like one day i made sixteen hundred dollars like i was running nonstop, and it was like a complete like i i devoted myself for that month i was like i'm gonna make the most money i i hardly ate and i hardly slept and that happens when you're in a bipolar state like you can a manic state you can you can like defy you know your physical needs and i did that like for god okay everybody we're gonna stop there and just digest all of this new information that was received from this very insightful interview i want you to reflect on identity loss during the indoctrination process on identity diffusion on all of the things that really are nuance when it comes to being indoctrinated as a child in a global cult. We're talking about the loss of self and the finding of self and all of the complex gray areas in between. And I really, really love talking with Colleen because she really paints such a detailed picture. It's not black and white. There is love and abuse there is joy and sorrow there's confidence and loss of self it's weird but it's reality so i will talk to you guys again soon take care of that mental health by the way <laughs>